to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, but no, um, yeah, I, I, I only, I, no, I've been in uh, the book of Daniel. We've been teaching through Daniel. But um, just as we were preparing for this Sunday, I just felt like the Lord wanted to do something a little different and more focused on actually praying for you all. We've had 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, and God has been doing some awesome things in response to our prayer. And um, prayer changes things because prayer touches the heart of God, and God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for Him. Uh, Nothing is impossible for Him. And so as I was just praying about this Sunday, um, the passage from... Uh, Isaiah 6 came to my mind and uh, so that's the only slide I have actually that's it Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 if you've been in church for a while you've probably heard uh, this whole passage this whole scripture in fact last week we sang um, parts from this passage uh, that says holy 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 is the Lord Almighty Um, but the whole story in Isaiah um, starts here in chapter 6 it says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is why every move of God is accompanied with worship, with praise, because ultimately, um, this, is, this is the response. <laughs> this is the earthly response and the heavenly response to the glory of God. And in Isaiah chapter 6, I don't know, I was reading through this, and, and there's, there's a beautiful rest of the story, right, where uh, uh, he, he, sees, he sees this picture, and this is the picture that was in my mind, but there's a response to this picture, and, and uh, there's, an, there's an angelic response. The angelic response is, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole world is filled with your glory. That's the angelic response. There's also a human response, which is, woe is me, for I am undone. Uh, I, I have unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then, and then there's a heavenly response to the human response and the heavenly response is to take coals from the altar and touch the lips of Isaiah and purge him or cleanse him or or heal him of of his of his disease called sin right and so there's this beautiful sort of back and forth picture but the part that stuck out to me the most this week is just at the very beginning it says in the year that King Uzziah died in other words this happened in the year that King Uzziah died And Uzziah was uh, the king uh, of this region, and he was closely connected to Isaiah. And so, actually, Isaiah started off as an itinerant preacher that God called. And then God made connections for him through the king Uzziah. Uzziah had a heart to do what was right. He had a heart to restore true worship to Yahweh. He had a heart for God. And he was then open and receptive to Isaiah. So when Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died, he's referencing not just a political thing that happened, although it was a political um, problem. Uzziah's son was only 25 years old at this point, and everybody was like, ah. 25-year-olds don't always rule kingdoms very well. I don't know if you know this, but it's like, what's he going to do? How's he going to handle? Because the Assyrians were knocking on the door, and they were running through all of the known world at that time and conquering, and now they just lost their strong, determined statesman and the way that he died is also interesting so this is a political issue but the way that he died is very problematic 
He didn't die of old age. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't trip down the stairs in the palace and break his neck. Um, it was no accident the way he died. He died because God killed him. Because he was hungry for the presence of God. And he was so hungry for the presence of God that he, he dismissed protocol. And he said, look, I want to be in the actual presence of God. I want to go behind the veil. I want to go into the holy of holy place. And the, the priest said, uh, look, only God's already talked about this. Only one guy every year can come in. And even he has to abide by all of these rules because the holiness of God is so powerful. And you and I, this is before the Holy Spirit was placed inside of our hearts. He said, look, you and I are not able to go stand before the manifest presence of God. And Uzziah, man, he, sometimes you can get so hungry for an experience that you forget that obedience is better than sacrifice. It's better than an experience. It's better than lifting up your hands. It's better than tears streaming down your face. It's better than coming to church and, and even being prayed for. It's better than healing. Obedience is better than the gifts that he gives us. And the gifts are great. And healing's awesome if you've ever experienced it. We've had people in this room that have experienced it. But, but obedience is so much better. And Uzziah was hungry for an experience. He was hungry for, for, for a manifestation. He was hungry for this thing that he had in his head. And he was not obedient. So he himself pulled back the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And the Bible says when he did that, that immediately he was struck with leprosy. Yeah, leprosy uh, is, is worse than COVID-19, by the way. It's, uh, especially back in those days, um, it was more deadly. Um, and they had no cure. They had no answer to it. And he ran out of the temple with leprosy. And he ran into his palace and he quarantined there until he died shortly after. So when Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died, he's not just talking about a, a political problem. We got plenty of those. <laughs> he was, he's, not, he's also not just talking, like he's talking about a sin problem. That the leader, the ruler of God's people turned left when he should have turned right. That he, he, he was so hungry for an experience, he forgot about obedience. And he pressed his way, pushed his way into a place he had no business being in. And, and, and this isn't just a political problem and a sin problem. This is also a personal problem. Because this was Isaiah's friend. This was Isaiah's close friend, his companion that he was fighting alongside, trying to bring Israel back to the true God. I don't know if you've lost any friends lately. I mean, really, uh, this, this whole passage could be entitled On the Way Home from a Funeral. Because he, he, Isaiah has the greatest experience with God that he had ever had up until this point. It's like the greatest vision, revelation of God in the midst of his deepest sorrow. He's coming home from having lost, having buried his friend. It's not just a personal loss, it's also a financial loss because, well, uh, Uzziah was also his meal ticket. <laughs> it was his boss, so to speak. That was the guy who led him in. <clears throat> and now, I don't know if he even knows his son. I don't know if his son ever spent time with Isaiah. He was too busy playing play PlayStation, probably. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, like, I, maybe he was off in, in some kind of higher education training. We don't know what kind of relationship Isaiah had with uh, Uzziah's son, but we know that he had a good relationship with Uzziah. And so this is also a financial issue. 
so many questions are swirling around Isaiah's head. And it says in the year that King, in the same year, not 10 years later, not after he had been done grieving, but in the middle of his grief, in the middle of a country's confusion, in the middle of his loss of income, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord. And the word for Lord there is Adonai, meaning uh, my Lord, my personal Lord. And so I think the key is here, you can lose your king, but you've, as long as you don't lose your Lord. You can lose your finances as long as you don't lose your Lord. You can lose your friends and be okay as long as you don't lose your Lord. And so you can, you can be in grief and you can go through grief. You can lose loved ones. You can, you can I, we buried my uncle and then turn, somebody else in the family just died of COVID just yesterday in Michigan. So I know a lot of us, people in Michigan, people here, we're, we're losing people. And sometimes you don't lose people to death. Sometimes you lose people to misunderstanding. Sometimes you lose people to bitterness. Sometimes you lose people to gossip. Sometimes you lose people to, to differing visions and different, different, different plans. And different, but a loss is still painful. And, and, and it was in the middle of the loss that, you, that Isaiah said, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. That he was above all of this. And so that's why worship is so important because it lifts our eyes above all of this. And it's not to say that all of this isn't important and that it's not real and that it's not happening and that it's not affecting things because it is. Your sleep patterns are affecting things. They really are. Your hormones are affecting things. Your sicknesses and diseases are affecting things. They really are. They, they, they affect your, your mood, which, which affects your emotions, which is your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. And if the enemy can break down your emotions, then that's very close to your spirit. He can discourage your spirit sometimes. So I'm not, I'm not denying that, that stuff that is happening here is affecting things. I'm just saying that there's a higher level of, of, of vision that I think God wants to reveal to us. Because it was, it was a, a revelation of, of God, high and lifted up, seated on his throne. And look, it says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. A temple is a large place. I don't know if you've seen little drawings of it and stuff. It's massive. And, and the train of his robe filled the temple. But remember, he's, he's high and lifted up. So he's not even in the temple. Because you can't be in the temple and be high and lifted up. He's high and lifted up above the earth. He's, I don't know. 23,000 feet in the air, like right above the cloud level, maybe. I don't know, maybe he's like, but Isaiah sees him high and lifted. He's way up there. And then the train of his robe fills the temple. Now the temple's on the ground and God's in the air. What that means is that the train of his robe was so long that it ran from whatever, wherever his throne is, whatever clouds that he's, I don't know how high it doesn't say, but however high and lifted up, that's kind of a double high and lifted up. Like he's really high and then he went higher and it's lifted up. I don't know how that works, but there's high because he wasn't measuring in feet and inches, I guess, and meters and stuff. He's like, he's high and lifted up. Like he's way up there. And I see this little speck of this throne and I see this thing coming down from the throne. Like this is the picture that was just in my mind all week. Just this picture of here is, here's us, and we are going through a lot. And I believe God cares about that. He is not removed. He is my Adonai, my God, my Lord. 
If he was simply call, calling him the God, he would have said Elohim, like the removed one, the great one, the one who is so detached and so different than us. But no, he said, my Lord, my Adonai, my personal God. And this is the word used in place of Yahweh, actually, in, uh, because the Jews wouldn't utter the word Yahweh, so they would say Adonai because it was a more user-friendly word, I guess, to them. It wasn't as holy. And so he uses this word when he sees the most holy version of God he's ever seen. He doesn't express Yahweh. He doesn't even express Elohim. He expresses Yahweh because, or um, uh, Adonai, because Adonai is, even though he's way up there, he knows what's going on way down here. Like he is associated with my grief. He is well acquainted. He has met my grief, not just on the road to say hello. He has sat down and had coffee with my grief. He got well acquainted with my grief. He got well acquainted with my sickness. He knows what I am feeling. He knows what the loss that I have experienced. He is well, he's way up there, but he is not detached. He's way up there. And in fact, there is an attachment. Visually, there's an attachment. He's way up there on the throne trying to make him out in the clouds, but coming down, streaming down is this, this, this robe. And the robe is the attachment. The robe connects, visually, the robe connects from wherever that is way up there all the way down to the temple. And it lands in the temple. And there's no opening at the top of the temple. So I don't know how it fills the temple. I'm not sure how that works. But somehow it goes in the door and starts going around and around and wrapping around. And then it starts kind of flowing out of the pillars in the front of it and splashing into the outer courtyard. And then so much fabric that it's floating up because there was about 10-foot walls, 12-foot walls in the outer courtyard. It's flowing over there. And then it comes to the to the extra courtyard where the where the where the Gentiles could hang out, and so and this is the mountain of God, right? And it's on this peak, and it's just there's so much fabric that's just flowing and flowing and flowing. And Isaiah said, "I saw the Lord; He was high and lifted up, and there was this visual thing that connected Him to us, and it was His robe." And so the, the robe of a king was always kind of long. They would they would make it kind of long because it was like um, it was like bling on a wrapper, you know. It, it showed how good he was doing. If he had a long robe, he was doing pretty good. And you'd start off with a pretty long robe. You're established. This long robe, you put it on, you ascend your throne, you sit at your throne. But once you conquer another king, then in order to show your victory, you would, you would usually um, take that king, make him be a servant in your house, and then you would take his robe. And they would sew his robe onto the bottom of your robe so that it would be, you know, twice as long. Well, you conquer another third king, and now you're sewing his robe on. And so you may have like a rainbow kind of robe because from all of the various kings that you have conquered, and this is Isaiah's vision of God, he's high and lifted up. And his relationship to earth, the thing that connects him to earth, is a record of his victories. That he's like, oh, there's that color, and there's that king, and there's, there's that king, and then there's that king, and then there's that king. And, and, and it didn't stop. It's not just that God's trying to relate to us on a level of victory, though he is. This is how God relates to us, on a level of victory. This is how God, this is how he becomes acquainted with our pain, that yes, he understands it, but he's not just there to sit and say, man, I sure wish I could do something, sucks to be you. That's not what God does. He comes in and he says, look at, look at, look, like that thing that you feel so defeated by, I got his robe. I sewed it on back yeah, about 1900 years ago. We, we took care of that one. Uh, we conquered, uh, uh, you know, whatever it may be. 
whether it's addiction, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's past hurt and pain from your family of origin, whether it's confusion, whether it's sexual perversion, whether it's lust, whatever it may be, there, like, like Isaiah sees him high and lifted up, and then he sees all the kings he's conquered. Like he conquered more kings than there are earthly kings. Because <laughs> obviously he didn't conquer flesh and blood. He conquered principalities and powers and rulers and high places. They've all been conquered. And this is his relationship to us. It's a relationship of victory. This is why there's no excuse for a Christian to be living in defeat. Zero excuse. Because how could you be living in defeat if you, are, if you have your eyes on the one who's conquered? What exactly has conquered you? What exactly has risen up against you? What exactly has, has stopped you from, from walking with him? Name it, because whatever name you can be named, that name must bow before the name of Jesus because that name has already been conquered by the blood of the cross. He has already, this is actually before the cross. He was already the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. From the foundations of the world, his authority was unquestioned because he had already conquered all kings, not just earthly kings, but supernatural kings. Uh, they, they, they've all been conquered. In fact, he kicked them all out of heaven when he wanted to. He cast them down to the ground. And so he has been in a, in a position of victory. So I just, I don't know what you guys want to play. You going to play the piano? No? Either. Nice. I don't know. You guys sitting at the piano. I thought maybe you'd play a duet. Um, but um, I'm, I'm just feeling like, 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 I feel like many of us are not living in a position of victory. Many of us feel we call God Elohim, not Adonai. We just, we, he's, he's, he's up there somewhere. I was reading this week um, from probably my favorite book, actually, of all time, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Um, I got this from home. I was home recently, and I've bought, I don't know how many of copies of these and read them and given them away, but this was like, I think this was my copy I got when I was 12 years old. Um, I first read it when I was 10, and then it was mom and dad's copy, and I think when I was 12, they bought me my own. And I was reading it here about the, the wisdom of God, and something just stuck out to me. He, uh, Tozer says, it is vitally important that we hold the truth of God's infinite wisdom as a tenet of our creed. Um, in other words, that we believe that God is all-wise, that he's all-powerful, uh, that he is above all of this. But he says this is not enough. We must, by the exercise of faith and by prayer, bring it into the practical world of our day-to-day -day experience. That's what I'm wanting to do today. So I, I've given you a little bit of education. That's great. But you really don't need more education. Um, you need to bring that truth of who God is in his victory and his wisdom and his greatness into practical everyday life. And that happens, he says here, through prayer. So that's what we're going to do right now. So we're going to have you come forward if you want prayer. I want to pray with you. I have some oil. I, I think there's a couple of things that, that we can pray for. Number one, uh, those of you that are dealing with personal loss, I think God wants to heal your emotions. I think God wants to, I think God healed Isaiah's emotions in this moment. And I think God wants to heal your emotions. You, you are not meant to grieve forever. Grief is a, process and it's a cycle and then you get out of it it's a it's it's a path 
So whatever loss, whether through divorce, through death, through uh, uh, disagreement or whatever, like there's, there's, a, there's a place of peace for you. There's a healing of your emotion. Same thing is true for anxiety. If you're anxious about the political climate and what's going on in the world and all this stuff, there's a place of peace for you. It's not going to change what different political leaders say and do. That's not here or there. There's a place of healing for your anxiety. God wants you sleeping at night. <laughs> Actually, Scripture says that. That, that, that you will lie down and your peace will be sweet. That you will rest. Why? Because the Lord guards the house of the righteous. So anxiety is not your portion. It's not what you... If you're holding it, you're just holding this defeated thing. And, and, and through prayer, I believe you can realize the victory of God in your life. And so this is what Tozer says. Is we need to, uh, through prayer, we need to bring it into the world of our everyday life. And then he says, to believe actively that our Heavenly Father continues to spread around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being brings to the soul a veritable benediction. And he says, most of us go through this life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never being quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This, he says, is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. He says, however, there is a better way, and it is to repudiate our own wisdom. Our own wisdom, our own understanding. And to take instead the infinite wisdom of God. Our insistence upon seeing ahead is natural, but it is a real hindrance to our spiritual progress. God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to him. Here is his promise. And this is from scripture. He says, I will bring the blind... Anybody qualify for that? I will bring the blind by a way that they do not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness become light before them, and crooked things will become straight. These things I will do unto them and will not forsake them. <laughs> 